little blurry. Good morning. Hope you guys are safe and well. I see myself a little blurry, but maybe it's just my eyes. But um, I'm excited to have this session with you guys. I'm going to give a few seconds for you guys to hop on. Got a great set of questions. And we have four new members um, I want to welcome. And so I'll start with that while you guys hop on. And let me just move over here to comments. So I want to welcome uh, Sebada Marokosian, Zare Arabian, uh, Enis Tebayanian. Sorry, there's a lot of neon. <laughs> all, all ends with IAM. So, um, and then uh, lastly, Samuel Kim. Welcome, guys. I hope you guys find this program very helpful, insightful, and I want to welcome you guys. Make sure you all uh, network with everybody in the group, and uh, we'll get the session started. Today, Logan's still a little bit under the weather, so Harsh is going to help me out and uh, read your questions, and then we'll get going. And if you have uh, questions, please post it uh, on the comment section. And Harsh will read it to me after I'm done with the list. And with that said, uh, we'll get started. Wonderful. All right, guys, good morning. So our first question today is from Ed. Ed says, we're currently under contract to purchase a large mobile home park in Kansas, under mm -hmm. 200 units. It is uh, severely mismanaged and has upsides in occupancy, uh, bringing rents up to market level and mm -hmm. making improvements like individually metered each unit do you have any experience with mobile home parks or have any thoughts on investing in this type of property what are your uh, what are some of the pros and cons in that? yeah unfortunately um ed i've never owned a mobile home park so i don't have experience uh but most definitely if they're not separately metered that's your first uh i guess lowest hanging fruit to add value uh that will uh, instantly generate more net operating income if the all the tenants are paying for their utilities right second some of the things you can add um, obviously amenities um, I would encourage you to go with a 10 mile radius and look at all your competition the other RV parks and go see what kind of amenities they have you know do they have a dog park do they have a playground <laughs> Um, go write down everything you don't have and they have, and also call the management company on those sites and see what is their market rent and what is the square footage of the lot, uh, I guess, for how many feet RV you can park. So uh, just kind of do an analysis on the market. I've never owned one, but those are some of the, uh, you know, some of the value add uh, components that pop in my head. All right. Next question is from Nick. Nick says, when you get an SBA loan to mm -hmm. purchase a commercial property, is it required to occupy 51% mm -hmm. of the property through the life of the loan or just the first year? Is yeah, good question. Well, SBA gives you the loan. Yes, you have to occupy 50, uh, more than 50% of the property, but it's the intention that counts. So if you know things change in business, um, I've had SBA twice. The first SBA I got, um, I sold the building before even the actual SBA funded the loan. Uh, SBA funds only twice a year. And in the interim, there is lenders that come and uh, fund that 40% out of the 90% that SBA funds. 
And I ended up selling that supermarket, uh, the building that I was going to open a supermarket in uh, because I had a covenant not to compete. And I ended up making a million bucks on it. It was best of both worlds. Um, second time I got SBA is this building. I got it in 2011 when I bought it. And I, you know, I refinanced it out, um, I want to say maybe six years ago. So I had the SBA for three years. So it doesn't mean you have, you're married to it. There is a prepay penalty. But it's a uh, you know gradual uh, prepay, so it burns up every year. Um, but you can refi, you can sell it, and you can sublease the building. Uh, if it's, you find that your business practice change or the building is not no longer suitable for your business, so there is a lot of uh, outs in there. But the intention is the part that SBA will uh, hang you on. So your intention has to be the architect building. Awesome. All right. Next question is from Rizwan. Rizwan says, as an alternative to Southern California, which state do you recommend with better cap rate opportunities? Well, I like, you guys heard me over and over. I like Texas, Arizona, North Carolina. Uh, I do like Oregon, a smaller market. Uh, don't get fooled to go to Michigan. There is, you're going to pop a lot of buildings, properties there that's got 9, 10, 11 cap. But uh, Michigan, as you guys know, the, the driver behind it, the auto, you know, the auto industry has been deteriorating for past 20 years. And, um, you know, it does have a challenge if you want to exit. You're going to have to sell it at a very high cap. So that's the problem I have in Michigan. There is no, uh, you know, that's not to say that you can't make money there. There is properties that are mismanaged everywhere in the U.S. But I like those estates that I uh, mentioned. Wonderful. And then he has another question, and this is a little bit of an open-ended question. So mm -hmm. how would you evaluate duplexes, multi-units, and retail properties? Well, every property is uh, valued based on the actual rent, what's your current cap rate, and what's the market rent, what's your upside, right? And then based on the cap rates that properties are trading at, and you can figure out what's your upside, what's your exit price. So it's income driven valuation um that's how you evaluate now sometimes the units for duplex or for uh, fourplex they go by you know uh, price per door we call it but at the end of the day uh, the income approach is what the you know it's going to dictate what you could sell it for because everyone's looking for the return the cap rate All right, wonderful. um so next question is from lewis Lewis says, uh, what is your option on the new trend of virtual real estate metaverse and please <laughs> the non-fungible tokens? Have you looked up uh, something or trying to learn this new wave and maybe invest some money into it? Uh, it's so funny. Yeah, I had a meeting yesterday with two young, uh, very bright uh, young gentlemen, and they're getting into NFTs uh, for past 12 to 14 months they've been dabbling with it they you know they seem to know what they're doing it's not my forte so um i am dabbling into it a bit uh on the nfts metaverse not so sure you know uh, that is going to be uh, something lucrative but nfts i like the technology behind it because it's basically uh, ownership and giving access to somebody uh to something unique uh could be an experience uh like spending a day with manny driving a bugatti and uh nft also i like it because it has residual income every time somebody buys or sells it you get a percentage 
So it's interesting to me. Um, it could also be attached to real estate um, or real assets like art, cars, properties. So um, it is interesting to me. So I'm dabbling into it and learning. It's a definitely a different world out there, but I may be doing an NFT project. We'll see. All right, wonderful. Next question is from Magnus. Magnus says, I just purchased 500, uh, 581, 518 Central Avenue mm -hmm. in uh, Carly, Ohio, and I'm struggling to find a top leasing broker with corporate tenant reps, uh, contacts interested in representing his space. Mm -hmm. I've been told it's hard to find larger spaces located 45 plus minutes outside of the city center of Cincinnati, Dayton, Ohio. What are some things you'd be you do to intensivize top leasing brokers mm -hmm. to work the properties for corporate credit and get the space leased up ASAP? Man, Magnus, that's tough. Um, this is why I recommend buying in metro cities. Um, I had uh, two shopping centers. Um, I still have one in uh, Waynesburg, uh, Pennsylvania. Um, but every time I bought in these small sub-markets, I've had extremely difficult time getting a retail national top broker because all these brokers are focused on metro cities where the density is high. Um, other than offering him a bonus, uh, you know, a lucrative bonus for a car, <laughs> you know, to get them motivated to drive 45 minutes or an hour to your property, um, I don't know what else to recommend. You, you know, you may be forced to go with a local bro local broker um, in in that uh, town um, and start there. To if you can't make any headwinds with these retail brokers that are you know with the bigger firms. All right. Uh, next question is from Suraj. Suraj says, uh, "How strong do you feel about having an elevator being inside a two floor general commercial building, non medical?" Mm -hmm. Does it improve the overall appeal for tenants having an elevator in a two-story building? Elevator is always a plus. Uh, does it, you know, you know, outweigh the benefits? Spending 100, 150 grand to put it, put an elevator in a two-story building? No, I've, I've looked at putting an elevator in this building. I don't think I'm going to get the bank, you know, the bank for the buck. So I didn't do it. If it's medical, if you got a government agency. You absolutely need an elevator uh, for ADA compliant. But if it's uh, uh, if it's a two-story general office um, and you don't have an elevator, I would probably, you know, pass on it. All right. His next question is: I have been some, I have been some tall permanent structures, billboards on some mm -hmm. property lots. What do you think about installing or building those kinds of adboards for additional income? Say installing one near the corner of the lot or somewhere it's not affecting parking or other access to tenants, especially if the property is located up a busy freeway. Mm, it's a fantastic idea, but uh, very rarely city will permit that. Um, there is, you know, a lot of them have been grandfathered in. But uh, if you can go to city and pull a permit to put a billboard or any type of signage on, on the freeway, uh, my hat's off to you. That's fantastic, you know, uh, additional income. Right, here's a couple more questions. Mm. The next question is asking is, in your experience for 70 to 100% vacant commercial properties, are bridge loans usually 20 to 25% down 
like the regular 525 year commercial loans? Or are they usually 40 to 50% down or depends on other financial income factors of the mm. applicant? Yeah, bridge loans for that uh, distress of a property, they're usually two to three year uh, term. So it's very short. That's why it's called bridge. They're going to bridge the gap, right, uh, on your occupancy. And you're looking at probably 30% to 35% down. And rates are anywhere from five and a half to six and a half, seven percent, depending on the property and the borrower. All right. His last question is I live in Orange County. Mm -hmm. If I have an option with a total budget of one million to invest into my first commercial property that meets your cut criteria, if I have an option of purchasing something in state, not near a major metropolitan area versus out of state, mm -hmm. such as Illinois, Texas, or Georgia, in a major metropolitan area. Which one would you recommend? Both have a cap rate of around 7.5 to 9%. Mm -hmm. Do you usually have to do have to go and visit your properties of out of state after you buy them? I naturally plan to hire a good management company no matter where I'm at. Yeah, uh, multiple questions there, Suraj, but they absolutely take Metro City over uh, suburbs or uh, low density in Southern California. So they, if the cap rate is the same, I'll go out of state, metro city, and yes, you definitely have to fly out there, take a look at it um, and before you go hard on your deposit, preferably before you even go to escrow because you're going to start incurring some legal uh, fees uh, uh, once you get the PSA. So uh, best is to fly out there, look at it uh, before you sign a purchase contract. But after you've signed the LOI. Perfect. All right, next question is from WatchTech. WatchTech says, what type of lease increases do you usually prefer, mm -hmm. fixed or based on CPI, which is the consumer price index? Do you think because of inflation, more rent increases will be based on CPI? Absolutely, yeah, CPI consumer price index is definitely the way to go. Uh, you know, the inflation's, you know, they say 7% is, I think it's more like 10 or 12% if you include food and energy in it. Um, so yeah, CPI is definitely preferred. Now we've had CPI in the past 15, 20 years, that's been below 3%. So a uh, lot of times landlords used to put the fixed increases in there, 3% a year is very normal. And I've done that many times on my leases, but we're in a different climate now. With inflation, so CPI is definitely the way to go. Right, wonderful. Um, next question is from Ali. Ali says, a "Good and active brokers usually have more than one property in the market mm -hmm. that they are trying to lease. What would you do so they bring the tenants to your property rather than to other properties that they have to lease as well in the same market?" Money. <laughs> They're all looking at commissions. Uh, always offer bonus, whether it's a dollar a foot or you give them additional 2%, uh, that always seems to work. Um, and what's important also is uh, to do broker preview. So donuts, coffee, give them a little bit budget. Um, often landlords don't do that. And if a broker sees, hey, you're willing to spend some marketing uh, dollars, whether it's for you know having a preview, uh, open house, um, or even advertising, um, they'll get more motivated.
Cool. And then the next question is, what is general vacancy loss? Is cash flow analysis of a building and how is it calculated? Yeah, so when you, um, most brokers will run an Argus run. Argus is a software that you, uh, it's an analytic software. But in short, general vacancy loss means assuming some of the tenants that roll over in the next three to five years from year one to year five, uh, say 20% of them will not renew. So they'll go into your general vacancy loss. And that's how it's calculated. Um, and also you do have assumptions for new leasing as well. You could say, okay, we're going to lease 10% of the building, but we're going to lose 20% on the rollover. So that gives you a net general vacancy of extra 10% going forward. Wonderful. Our next question is from Arthur. Arthur says, which commercial listing firms, females, list you would recommend joining mm -hmm. in California? I like C.B. Richard Ellis. Uh, JLL is good. Uh, Newmark. Those are some of the top three that pops in my head. All right, his next question is, when you sell your property, do you sell the LLC you attach mm -hmm. to it or the property alone? Besides liability protection, are there any other pros for having a separate LLC for property? Uh, great question. Um, really, the separate LLC is for protection, um, as far as I'm told. Um, in terms of when you sell a property, does you know the LLC go with it? Never. Uh, your LLC is your uh, investment vehicle entity that owns your assets. So the property is what you're selling, the asset. The LLC is the formation entity that holds it. Um, but yeah, uh, best to consult your attorney because every estate's different um, and you'll have different protections. For example, in Texas, um, it's better to have a limited partnership, not LLC, because the franchise tax board, tax board there uh, hits you with a certain percentage of your gross revenue if you're not a limited partnership. So every estate's different. Cool. His, he has a couple more questions. His next question is, you mentioned you like to remeasure the building every five mm -hmm. years. What could happen in five years where the measure can change? Yeah, very good question. Uh, so BOMA, uh, who sets the standards for measuring commercial properties, Every five years, every seven years, there is no set time, but they do go through uh, changes and they update how you're supposed to measure a building, which is what all the architects use. It's the standard they put out. Uh, that's why I put every five years. Um, it, you know, it's just an assumption, but you could also check. It's very easy before you remeasure your building. I always ask the ownership of the property, when was the last time they measured the building? And then you just go Google BOMA's a standards update and it tells you when was the last time they changed it. And if you're with them, then you don't need to remeasure. Okay, then his last question is, what is the type of clients you are typically buying your properties after mm -hmm. you've added your value at? Institutions, single investors, who are mm -hmm. I would say mostly investors. I've sold a few of my buildings to investors. Um, of recent, it's been investors, I would say, Prior to Great Recession, a lot of uh, REITs, private REITs. Wonderful. So now we're uh, doing Facebook questions. So Ali asked a question on the Facebook group. Mm -hmm. What is general vacancy loss? I think we did. We did yeah, we response. responded to that. Okay. Um, yeah, I think we uh, responded to both of those questions. So 
see, Rahul has a question. Rahul says, if I were to do a 1031 from one single family residence, would you recommend to do a 1031 into two new properties, example, two single family residences? Well, the million dollar question is, uh, Raul, is if you got a two great deals or one great deal. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely uh, spread that into multiple properties. Doesn't have to be one. But if you got two amazing deals, absolutely. All right. Uh, next question is from Henry on Facebook as well. He says, I'm in Roken, uh, Virginia. I'm mm -hmm. not seeing much opportunities on LoopNet. I'm moving towards CoStar. I've just inquired the CoStar and have a call yesterday to be able to get data from there. How are you finding off-market deals? I am reverse engineering PropStream and ListSource. I need my first deal. Should I look into neighborhood markets? Yeah, I love neighborhood markets. Those are your, you know, a small retail shops that tailor to the neighborhood. And that's a great place uh, to a start, in my opinion. If you're just getting your feet wet in commercial real estate, those are easy to visualize what you could do to the property, right? And, uh, you know, doing it, uh, putting the lipstick on it, improving the uh, center, and also improving your relation with tenants. Uh, if it's local to you, you can walk in there, you know, uh, see what, uh, uh, you know, what you can do to improve their experience being on the property. Sometimes they're having complaints and their current ownership doesn't care. And you can, those are things you can improve, right? Uh, I would start there. But off-market deals, um, I'm not, I can't give you any uh, help there. I'm not reaching out to any, uh, any property owners for off, that, that are off-market. All right, looks like uh, that's pretty much all we have. We have a question from Yusuf, but it's uh, regarding a curb hunt, so it's really not. Oh. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Uh -huh. Yeah, I'm not buying a Lamborghini Huracan, guys. <laughs> I had two Lamborghini, I sold them, but um, I'm focused more on super, super hyper cars. As you can see, I don't have room. Yeah, actually, one question did come yeah. up from Michael. Michael says, Do you think we're at the bottom of the market cycle for office buildings? No, no way. No, the market bottom for office asset class is yet to come. Uh, so there, is, there was a provision in CARES Act, which expired last month, that, uh, you know, the building owners, uh, you know, didn't have to provide update to their lender if they were affected by COVID on their income property. Also, the banks couldn't foreclose on them. Uh, this is what I was, uh, you know, listening to a podcast uh, that uh, this investment banker that deals with REITs was mentioning. So there will be a lot of, uh, I think, second quarter, you're going to see a lot of these property uh, owners, REITs, going to have to report their underperforming assets. And once there is, is reported to their bank, the bank is going to have to probably, uh, you know, take action and, it's going to be an interesting uh, scenario to see how much of these defaults um, are really going to be uh, coming back to the banks. Because up to now, it's been delayed with this CARES Act uh, provision in the CARES Act. So we'll see. But I think the bottom is at least you know, 8 to 12 months out. Got it. So Michael just has a quick reiteration, confirmation. So he asks, so we need to be extra careful 
in trying to purchase office buildings right mm -hmm. now. Absolutely. That's why I like retail better. Uh, if you find a very small office uh, deal that's you know significantly below current prices, and you can kind of add value and lease it up, um, that would be an exception. But I would stay away from office right now. All right. I believe a question came in from Mike. Mike says, "I've been approached by a call center that cold calls single-family and multifamily property owners who were in a divorce, foreclosure, or probate." Mm -hmm. How do you feel about working with these companies? Waste of time, just focused on listed properties. Yeah, in my opinion, I've, those have never panned out for me. Um, and especially during the Great Recession, a lot of these brokers came to me and said, well, we got a tape, REO tape of 500 homes, 20 cents on a dollar. Every time I chased those leads, I, I, I got nowhere. Um, just go on CoStar, LoopNet. There's plenty of listings there you can look through. And remember, you don't have to put the money to work today, next week, or next month. Be patient, even if it takes you a year to find that deal. Uh, because once you buy a deal, that's you know you're forcing yourself into a deal. You're not going to be able to get out because um, the recession is coming. You know rates are going up, and that's not a good environment to be a year, two years from now. So this is actually a great question right after what you said, Manny. Uh, mm -hmm. Ed is asking when the flood of vacant uh, office buildings come, how difficult do you think it will be to get loans? Well, I guess uh, depends on the price, right? If you're going in there at, you know, 20 cents, 30 cents on a dollar, like the building I bought for 7.2 million, um, I would be shocked if it appraises less than 9 million. And what the lenders go off, is your purchase price. But if you buying it 20, 30% below market, even though it's vacant or underperforming, um, lenders are still, you know, have the appetite to lend it to you, especially on the bridge, uh, because they're gonna lend it to you 60% of your purchase price, but in reality is, you know, 40% or 50% of market price. So if they have to foreclose, there's a, you know, pretty good padding for them. Um, there is a lot of liquidity out there and these banks want to put it to work as long as the sponsor behind it, me or you that are going to stabilize that property, have good track record history of doing that. And you're buying it at the right price and you have a good business plan to stabilize it. Their liquidity is there. Great. Our next question is from Salome. Salome says, I'm not able to find any deals on LoopNet either. Does this mean the bottom of the market still isn't here for multifamily real estate? Oh, multifamily for sure. Uh, multifamily is a function of two things. The inventory is low and there's a lot of liquidity. Huh. All investors and REITs are chasing residential multifamily, which is you know safe. And third, it did pick up uh, significantly because people working from home. So a lot of people are upgrading their residences whether it could even be in, a, in an apartment if you had a one bedroom you're going to move into a two bedroom right because you're going to use one of them for, for an office so that did uh, pick up a huge demand on on uh, on the tenant side and also buyer side for single family so that market kind of got a big shot in the arm from COVID. But I think as you know, a year, two years from now, um, I definitely see that in big trouble. 
because when the recession comes and rents don't go up 20% a year anymore, uh, guess what? There is no meat on the bone because these are pretty much, they're selling you a speculation that rent's gonna keep going up, right? And when that stops, it's gonna dampen the values. Right. And next question is from Yusuf, and I think it will be our last question for today. Mm -hmm. uh, when do you think would be a good time to offload residential real estate? I bought a home in early 2021, renovated it, and can make a 15% return. Retrospectively, I can also rent it out and make a 1000 a month cash flow. That's a tough one. Um, I don't think homes are going to crash <laughs> this year. Um, you know unless the Fed comes out blazing and increasing rates next month in March when they meet 50 basis points instead of expected 25 basis point, I think that will jolt the market um, a bit, but inventories are low and there's a lot of pent up demand for single family. Um, so I think the momentum is gonna be there throughout this year, but it will definitely slow down with the rates going up. They're expecting rates to go up 1% this year. That's four hikes of quarter point each. But if he does shock the market and raises 50 basis point on the first meeting, that will definitely affect the market. So it's a function of how much rates are going to go up. Uh, if you can make 15% in one year, eh, it's not a great return. I will probably hang on to it and see if you can get it to 25% and sell it this summer. Yeah, wonderful. I think time is up. For All right. Well, this was great, guys. Uh, I hope you guys stay out of trouble and uh, stay away from COVID. And see you guys next week. Be safe, be well. And if you have questions you didn't get a chance to post, go ahead, post it, and my team will get it to me. Thank you. Have a good week.